Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is David. I'm the campus pastor here. For those of you joining us for the first time or joining us online for the first time, uh, Pastor Felipe is still out, and I'm actually stepping in in his substitute. And it is good to be here. I just came back from Key Biscayne, and it was beautiful outside and wonderful day to actually have a service together. So, as we actually turn to today's scripture from Genesis chapter 18, verse 9 through 15, you can actually follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. It says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The ways of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is the word of God. I love that. You know, my wife actually sent me on Instagram, and I thought, you know what? We're talking about laughter today, so I might as well just get it out of the way, right? Because whether it was you trying to actually not laugh or when you actually see someone who is desperately trying to, you know, hold in their laughter in a very, you know, appropriate time, we all have an experience or two about inappropriate laughter, and if we're not careful today, we inappropriately focus on laughter itself, who laughed and when. But as a matter of fact, what we actually have to do is that we actually need to look at why Sarah laughed and how God was rebuking her laughter. As we we're doing it during that process, we're not going to actually make her into a villain or make her into a victim. Because we're not going to vilify her saying that, hey, you know what, Sarah didn't have a faith and it's all her fault. Nor are we going to actually treat her like an innocent victim because she did laugh and lie about it. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the act of laughing at all. But it's about the false narrative that solidified a distorted reality in Sarah's mind. And that actually brought a despair that God never intended for her and also 
for us. It is all about accepting a lie as a truth and letting your life go down the path that God never intended. It is all about God rescuing you out of your self-made prison and restoring your identity. And through that, God giving you shalom, his original intent, back in your life that will allow you to experience the hope and joy as his children for whom that God has sacrificed his only son. It's about truth and lies. So today, we're going to take a look at three things. First, we're going to take a, take a look at Sarah's false narrative. We're going to take a look at how she actually saw herself through her own eyes and what was distorting her reality and her identity. And then we're going to look at God's narrative for her, that how God saw Sarah and through his eyes and what was the truth behind who she was. And finally, we're going to look at God's narrative for us, his promise that restored Sarah's identity as well as ours. So first, Sarah, according to herself, her false narrative. False narrative number one, it's been too long and I am forgotten. It's been 25 years since she and Abraham had received a call that actually brought them out of the land that they were living into a promised land that God was showing them. It's been 25 years that they've been sojourning. It's been 25 years they've been wandering and becoming a foreigner in a land that they actually didn't belong. It was 25 years of immigrant life. Living here in Miami, we all can attest that however successful you are as an immigrant, still immigrant life makes things just a little bit harder. Not only that, 25 years that they've been holding on to the promise. And now she's turning into 90. And many of us know that she's probably been barren and also beyond the age where she can bear a child for a long time. When the promise was given, maybe there was a glimmer of hope, but 25 years that you've been holding on to, God blessed them and became a rich and powerful, and yet there is something that is missing in Sarah's life that she's been holding on to. And yet, little by little, she was hearing a woman 90 years, 90 years old, a body beyond possibility of bearing child, perhaps, perhaps I'm the lost cause. False narrative number two. This problem will never go away. I am being ignored. You know, book of Genesis, each chapter can actually have decades of time going between. And the event of chapter 16, which we actually looked at last week, it's been about 15 years since then. Same problem with Hagar still exists. Abraham is still as absent dealing with this problem as before. Sarah who is a stranger in foreign land, feel estranged at home with this tension, struggling and dealing. Fifteen years that she is dealing with this, and now 
this child, Ishmael, who is now 13 years old, growing up. It doesn't help. Things are not going to get any better because now God, Abraham is actually is looking at Ishmael with favor. I am being ignored, and this problem will not go away. False narrative number three. Now that my Lord has a son, now that my Lord has an heir, I am marginalized. I mentioned that Ishmael is now 13 years old and rightful heir of Abraham's covenant, right? We know, we know that Ishmael was a product of Abraham and Sarah's unbelief. And God affirmed it in chapter 17 when God actually, you know, confirms that Ishmael was not, you know, not even in the original plan of God, nor he was an answer to any problem that he was experiencing. We know that now, but they didn't know it then. It's not like when Ishmael was born that God actually came down and said, no, 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 not that child. We're going to actually try it again. Or in 13 years of growing that there was anything that came from God to actually tell him other than what just happened in chapter 17. For 13 years, Ishmael was traditionally, culturally, and legally rightful heir of Abraham. And Abraham believed that. How do we know? Chapter 17. God comes to Abraham and gives him the Abrahamic covenant. And he hears this promise that God's going to give him a son named Isaac through Sarah. You know what Abraham did? Prostrate himself before the Lord and laughed. And told himself, now, Lord? The very next thing he says is, oh, Lord, if Ishmael can live before you. Let me translate that for you. Here comes Abraham. God is saying that I'm going to give you a miracle child. <laughs> no thanks. God, I got your back. You, know, you see, the problem that we're having, we solved it. So there's no longer need for this ridiculous miracle that you're planning on giving me a child through Sarah. You can just take the easy way out. Here is Ishmael. Bless him. In every aspect of their lives, they already had the heir. They believed that Ishmael was the one. Everybody believed except God. Everybody believed except God. German reformer Martin Luther said that the sin underneath all of our sins is to trust the lie that the servant, serpent said saying that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. I wish Martin Luther could say that to Sarah and Abraham. But all the false narrative, all the lies, and the wrong script that was running through Sarah's mind distorted her reality. She was no longer the mother of the faith, or beloved and chosen one of God's covenant, 
She was forgotten, ignored, and marginalized a victim who pitied herself and lost hope. And her identity was no longer based on God's truth or his promise, but based on the false narrative and circumstances and the lies that she generated by her own voice. So when God came to Sarah with a bright future filled with joy and hope, you know what was her natural reaction to that? She laughed, not of the joy, but of disdain and of the despair and unbelief because of all this distorted reality that was already existing in her. Sorrow and despair was a prison that Sarah locked herself in. Folks, when you believe in lies, it creates false narrative. It has to. For a lie to exist, it must create a false narrative. And when you have this false narrative in you becoming true, you live a distorted reality. Everything has to now fit into that lie. And when you have distorted reality, you know what happens? You lose your own identity because no longer are you based upon the truth that God has given you, but you have to distort your identity and just grotesquely just deform it to fit the distorted reality that you're living in. Lies, false narrative, distorted reality, and loss of identity is what they are experiencing, what Sarah was experiencing, but how about us? It is so easy to sit here and judge Sarah because we have this luxury of just looking back at Sarah in the past and see all the lies and the false narratives that she should have seen and say, how come she didn't know? But what about us? Can we confidently say that we are not making the same mistake that Sarah's making? Because our society constantly screams at us of all these lies. And it is so easy to believe. How about this one about our body image? You're not thin enough. You're not tall enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. How about the cultural pressure? Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to live? How are you going to live? Where are you going to go to college? Did you go to that college? Oh, no, you didn't go to that college. You didn't go to that job. You didn't get that career. You're not making that money. You are not living. Oh, no, you're driving that car? How about the political or ideological pitfall? I hear this all the time. If you're a good Christian, you should be like this. I get that email all the time. How about if you're a Democrat, you must be woke. If you're a Republican, you must love your country and be all up in arms. We hear these lies all the time that pin us and try to distort our reality. Can you truly say that we don't hear any of them? Can we say that we're any better? than Sarah, who struggled with it for 25 years. I have my wife's permission to share this story. 
Many of you know that, that my wife, uh, Lisa, she's an exceptional scholar. Yes, I married a smart woman. Thank you very much. It's a joy. But also, she was an elite athlete. She swam all her childhood along with her siblings, and she did great. She actually made it to Junior Olympics and Nationals, and you can see how hard she trained for it. And, you know, when you are a swimmer and expending all these calories, you have to eat a lot, right? And there's this, like, a one particular dish that she's really fond of called kalbi. It's a Korean short rib barbecue, and she just loves it. And, you know, as a preteen athlete with an appetite, she was just thoroughly enjoying it at one of the family gatherings at her relative's house. Then enters one of her relatives, quietly walking by her and just casually saying, a lady shouldn't eat like that. A lady shouldn't eat like that. One lie. Entered Lisa's young mind, created a false narrative, what she calls a wrong script in her head that ended up developing eating disorder at her age. Only eating one salad and nibbling on a bagel throughout the day, still swimming the same, still doing the same practices. She didn't even know that she had a problem. Lies, false narrative, distorted reality, changing your identity. How do you combat that? Well, According to the, the wisdom of St. Bono of U2, it says, it's not enough to rage against the lie. You've got to replace it with the truth. Well said, Bono. Well, but if Bono is a little too secular for you on Sunday morning, well, here's a proverb of chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Let's turn to God for the truth. So, secondly, God's narrative about Sarah, how God saw Sarah as who she was. First, Sarah was always a part of God's blessing and covenant partner with Abraham. God's narrative number one says, you have always been part of my plan and my promise. You were never marginalized. Sarah was a specifically named in God's covenant. We call it Abrahamic covenant, but did you know that in chapter 17, that when Sarah was given this verse 16, I will bless her and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become, become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This very promise was the, the essence of promise that Abraham got. God was not saying that, hey, Abraham, you get this, and Sarah, you get this. No, God is saying that, hey, the same promise that I'm making you to you, Abraham, I'm giving to Sarah. I will make you into nations, and the kings will come from you, meaning that I will honor you greatly. God said, this is for Sarah. 
How many people actually were named? How many women were named in a covenant like that? And even when Abraham asked God to bless Ishmael instead of this promised child of Isaac, God insisted on blessing Isaac through Sarah. Genesis 17, 19 comes right after Abram asking, God, here is Ishmael. He is a rightful choice. You can bless him instead. And God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And verse 21, he goes on and repeats it, saying that, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Sarah was not marginalized. She was always the center of God's covenant and his promise. And God protected her for it, even when Abraham didn't. Genesis chapter 12, we know that when they actually went down to Egypt during the famine, what did Abraham do? He actually lied and said that she's my sister, so protect me and do whatever. And God showed up and protected her against the Egyptians. In chapter 20 of Genesis, God did the same thing against Abimelech when Abraham again lied about Sarah, saying that she was his sister, and God showed up and protected her. God never left her. She was always in the center of God's plan, and he always was faithful to her. And yet, and yet. Secondly, Sarah was asked specifically by God, especially in the chapter that we read. God's narrative number two says that I sought you out. You were never ignored. Genesis chapter 18, verse 9 says, hey, where is Sarah, your wife? Let me set the tone for you, right? It starts with chapter 17, which, you know, the Jewish boys call it the, the snip-snip chapter, right? We all know that. The covenant of the circumcision was established through Abraham, which is <laughs> one of our favorites, right? And when God was giving a promise, a covenant to Abraham, he made sure that Isaac was part of the covenant, and Sarah's name was mentioned through the name change and through the new identity given. And God is saying, hey, through Sarah, you will have the covenant with Isaac. Through Sarah, you will have all of this happening. Chapter 18 comes right after that because that day, Abraham, he was faithful in that, took all his household and his Ishmael, you know, son Ishmael and went and got snip-snipped. Chapter 18 begins right after that. Probably he just came back and, you know, it would have been difficult surgery back then. He was just sitting and chilling and resting in his tent, and then God shows up. He hurries to them, make all these meals prepared so that he can serve the Lord. As soon as he actually sat down and started eating, God asked for Sarah. Where is Sarah? God showed up to Abraham. Well, he had to deal with the Sodom and Gomorrah thing later on. But God showed up to Abraham looking for Sarah. Because you know what? The, the promise that was given a little before, I want to make sure that Sarah heard it. Hey, Abraham, did you actually tell her that? Did you really tell her that? Did she really understand what I'm actually giving as a promise? 
Sarah was asked when God showed up. She was never ignored. Thirdly, Sarah was only one of the four people whose name was changed by God to establish a new identity. God's narrative number three says, says, I have a great plans for you and you never forgotten. Did you know that Sarah was the only woman to receive a new identity from God through name change? Chapter 17, verse 15, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Folks, the truth of the matter is that Sarah was never forgotten, never ignored, never marginalized. She was always remembered, cherished, and given the identity of a mother of nations. But Sarah's false narrative made her look at her circumstances and become sorrowful. She could not see what God saw in her. Only if you could see it through God's eyes. Only if she actually looked up and be able to see how God was looking at her, she might have understood the truth of who she was. What she needed was to change her gaze. What about us? What does God say about who we are? What is the truth that we need to override some of the wrong script that is running in our minds? What does God say about all the lies that imprison us? Because you might say, I'm unlovable. But God says, you are loved. Romans 8 says that I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fear for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the skies above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Says the Lord, you are loved. Your mind might actually say, I am rejected. But God is saying that you are mine. In Isaiah, it says, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. And you are mine. Your mind might say, I am unworthy. But God is saying, you are worth dying for. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but experience eternal life. We all know these scriptures, but do you hear God saying the truth about your life? If you know the truth, can you ever say any of these wrong scripts in your head? Lisa was 12 when she experienced uh, this eating disorder. And it was her swim coach that God used to break that lie. Her swim coach noticed that she was not performing well and her energy level was down. So after a practice, he called her over and asked her what she was eating. And praise God that she told him the truth. And he told her, the simple truth 
that she should eat more. That was it. That simple truth got planted in Lisa's young mind, and it blossomed at the next family gathering. A year later, 4th of July happens, that walking by the plate of the kalbi, she was able to enjoy it again. Now, we actually adapted that tradition. So 4th of July, you know, we actually grew kalbi and truly enjoy it as a true sign of celebration of freedom and liberation from the tyranny of lies and oppression. So on 4th of July, if you come to our, our place, you know what the menu is going to be. The truth that God actually tells us that breaks through the lies. Lastly, the God's narrative for us. God's plan for restoration. How did God bring restoration and redeemed Sarah out of this? Through the promised child named Isaac. Isaac, Isaac in Hebrew means he laughs. And how, how appropriate it is that the child who actually was promised by God, and when Abraham and Sarah heard it, they both laughed. How appropriate it is that the child was named, he laughs. But also, Isaac means he delights. Not only Isaac, the rightful heir to Abraham's covenant, but he is the one who brought delight to Sarah, restoring her identity of the mother of nations, true receiver of the covenant that God has granted her. God's rebuke on Sarah that we looked at today in our scripture is not a severe judgment by a master, but it is a gentle scolding of a father. Because he wanted to remind us through Sarah this very important question. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? If you are experiencing difficulty in your life, if you're experiencing a delayed gratification in your life, if you're still holding on to the, the promise, the call, the covenant, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Can you wait and put your trust in me? Because God wants to bring us delight from sorrow of despair that we lock ourselves up with. How does God actually redeem us out of our own false narrative? God gave us another promised child whose name was given before he was conceived. His name is Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God with us. This child was given to a nation that fell short of God's glory and his presence left the temple in Ezekiel 10. A nation without God. And God promised Emmanuel, I'll be with you. And through him, you will be able to find salvation. And through his sacrifice, you will be redeemed back to me. To us all, a child was born. Through him, the new identity was given that we may become his children. Let's bow our heads.